This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And last year, I decided to extend the walls of my practice to those who might listen to a podcast about psychological issues or therapy, but might never darken the door of a therapist. Or perhaps you are in therapy and you're just interested in hearing another therapist's perspective. I've been doing this over 25 years And I feel like I'm a conduit sometimes between patients I've seen in the past and patients that I treat now. I simply pass on the wisdom of what has worked from that earlier patient to the now patient. We also talk about really diverse topics here at Self Work. And today's topic is on eating disorders, or actually, more specifically, anorexia. We're going to define anorexia We're going to see how it's different from what's called body dysmorphia. And then I'm going to give you some very eloquent writing that a woman here locally gave me. I was so touched by it. And you may find yourself, if you struggle with wanting to be thin or obsessing about being thin, you may find yourself in what she sent me. We'll talk a little bit about when depression is normal. I know that sounds kind of funny, but there was a book about it. When Feeling Bad is Good, written back in the early 90s, and we're going to talk about it. And then today's email from a listener is about when you have guilt over how you've parented or are parenting and what to do with it. So thanks for joining me, and we'll get right to it. For many women and some men, being thin is worshipped like no other physical attribute. It's not your hair you care about, your muscles, nor your voice. Some women believe that the greatest compliment you can hear as a woman is, you look like you've lost weight. It's way too easy to cross the boundary into an actual eating disorder. And we're going to talk about anorexia today, where staying thin has become an addictive compulsion. Statistics show that over 200,000 people are diagnosed with anorexia every year in the United States. And there can be lots of physical symptoms, such as dehydration, dizziness, fainting, low blood pressure, osteoporosis, electrolyte problems, or feeling cold all the time. There can be behavioral signs, because your eating is all messed up. You can either compulsively eat or eat in a very rigid fashion, There can be some binge eating that occurs. You can socially isolate because of not eating or not wanting people to watch you eat or know what you eat or don't eat. You can have mood changes with anxiety, apprehension, or guilt. Obviously, weight changes. The actual diagnosis of anorexia is defined by a certain percentage loss of body weight or simply extreme weight loss and thinness. It can delay puberty or slow your growth, and it can change your menstrual cycles. In fact, you can be amenorrheic, meaning you don't have periods. Also common are stomach problems, brittle nails, bruising, depression, dry hair, dry skin, headache, sensitivity to cold, slow heart rate, 
And when severe, it can lead to death. People that I've worked with with anorexia tell me that every waking minute, they're thinking about what they will eat or what they won't eat. They sidestep concerns from friends or family and avoid questions about their vanishing body. In fact, usually they wear multiple layers of clothing so you can't really tell how much weight they've lost. They scheme about how they can stay in ultimate control of their weight, thereby proving their own worth. I had someone with anorexia tell me that she hated it when my stomach growled. And I said, why? She said, my fantasy is that you've eaten less today than I have. People with anorexia will call themselves healthy eaters. They'll swear up and down. They, they eat plenty as they sip water after running five miles or complete their daily CrossFit or go to their second or third CrossFit for the day. They'll find other women who share their thinking as they drink a glass of wine and eat lettuce for lunch. They can almost feel a giddy superiority when not eating and a sinking despair if gaining even half of a pound. They frequently weigh themselves constantly. And yet, the denial of their disease can be very rigid and ferocious. In fact, I've often said that I believe that anorexia may be one of the hardest diagnoses to treat the hardest people to treat. People aren't diagnoses, but hopefully you know what I mean. Because you have to eat. So you you can't abstain from a behavior that's problematic. The thinking behind it can get so well entrenched and can be, again, so well defended that it's hard to even rationalize with someone who has severe anorexia. Because basically, anorexia is not about food. It's about a need for control and self-worth. Now, body dysmorphia is a term you might have heard, and it's something different. There is overlap between characteristics of body dysmorphic disorder and eating disorders, including body image dissatisfaction and disturbance or rituals and behaviors relating to appearance and a tendency to compare a lot. However, with body dysmorphic disorder, there's an obsessional focus on one aspect of the body, usually a nose or skin, hair, eyelids, mouth, something like that. And you hate it, and you think other people hate it or see it as ugly. In fact, people with body dysmorphic disorder will have multiple surgeries or treatments in order to try to change that particular aspect of their appearance. And of course, then that becomes the problem as well, or it can. So although dieting can be a feature of body dysmorphic disorder that involves a body part perceived to be large, eating and weight are not usually disturbed. And body dysmorphic disorder is not diagnosed if an eating disorder is thought to be present. Now, there are other eating disorders. There are two or three more. Maybe we'll discuss that in another episode. Now, we all know that culturally, it's difficult for any woman, and again, some men, not to crave being thin and to look like a model. A model that, of course, has been airbrushed many times. But back in 1992, when Friends was big and everybody wanted to look like Jennifer Aniston, (laughs) Ellen McGrath wrote a book called When Feeling Bad is Good. And she made the point that, at least culturally, depression was normal the farther you got away from the stereotype of what was acceptable or good for a woman. She said, you want to be heterosexual, very thin, Caucasian. If you have a job, you should be a nurse or a teacher, not a plumber or a lawyer. 
If you're a mom, you should definitely stay at home, and you certainly want to be a mom. And she noted that the more choices you made or the farther you got away from that particular stereotype, the more likely you were to get depressed. And of course, that depression can lead to a desire for control and to say, you know, I lose a little weight when I don't eat so much. Maybe I'll feel better. Maybe I'll feel more worthy. Maybe I'll feel more valuable if I don't eat anything at all. What does happen when people lose weight? They get attention, right? Because our culture worships being thin. Some people with anorexia never seek treatment, and others do. Some are able to claw their way out of the vicious cycle of mental distortion and medical starvation, and others may lose that battle and suffer most of their lives with the consequences of the condition. I'm sure many of you have seen someone jogging past you who's older and is extremely thin, and you think, what are they doing? Well, one of those people, very bravely, a local woman here named Gwen, came forward to me several months ago to talk about her anorexia. She'd wanted to come forward publicly for a while. She was passionate about getting a message out to others who were experiencing the silent agony of staying thin. She wanted to talk not because she'd beaten her disease. Quite the opposite. Gwen had tried over and over again to dim anorexia's voice inside her head, but success had evaded her. We sat in my office and talked, and she said, you know, I don't know if you want to use my story. I'm not a success. I wouldn't want anyone to be like me. And I thought for a second, and I said, well, at least you're honest with yourself. You call anorexia for what it is. You aren't hiding from the truth. And in my experience, that's one of the hardest things to do. So after we met for a while, Gwen found a diary that she'd kept when she was much younger, and she sent me excerpts. In them, I heard the despair of Gwen when she was a young woman, completely overwhelmed with fear, loneliness, and intense pressure. But there was another section to her writing. What I found even more profound was when she wrote about the present as she scoured her psyche for answers to questions. Today, she has generously allowed me to share them with you. You may find yourself in what she writes, whether or not you have clinical anorexia or not, because she speaks with the voice of women who don't talk to one another honestly, who accept what glossy fashion magazines dictate, who weigh themselves every morning, determining whether it's a good day or a bad day, given the number on the scale. I've written about my own anorexia on my website, and I'll have that link in the show notes. And what remains, I believe, is still eating disordered thinking. I also can start out my day with a trip to the scale if I allow myself to, and find that day not exactly ruined, but there's like a shroud over it. I already feel like a failure, and that's eating disordered thinking. So I wanted to learn from Gwen, and maybe you can learn from here. Maybe you'll hear your own thoughts in hers, or perhaps someone you love. So first she talks about the emotional stagnation of anorexia, of not maturing into a confident person. Here's Gwen. I am now 55. I imagine this is an age where I ease up on my career and focus more on my own interests. Instead, I find that I'm driven by the same fears and desires that I had at 16, 26, 36, and so on. 
My body is aged, and yet my desire to remain under 95 pounds, no matter what, stays the same. Why? What do such obsessions bring me? And where are the other women of my age group, no longer young, certainly not aged, who are struggling with similar conditions? What happens to young anorexics when they live and get older? We certainly don't make it into the popular media or consciousness. It is just assumed that we've recovered? Is it taken for granted that we no longer worry about such trivial, vain topics as body weight? Are we so invisible that we are above or beyond the capability of comparing ourselves with models and feeling envious? How did I disappear? Wait, I still need attention. Am I still refusing to grow up and face the fact that I'm not the center of attention? When is all of this supposed to happen? I think you can hear the incredible honesty, almost brutal honesty, that Gwen is using with herself. Here she writes about believing you're in control, but actually it's your anorexia, your inner extremely critical voice that's in control. And again, Gwen's voice. At what point does a woman look at herself and say that it doesn't matter if she is fat or thin? At what point does a woman look at a menu and order what she wants rather than what she thinks she should eat? What if said woman is so used to rigidly following a plan that she no longer knows what she wants to eat? How did I get to be a 55-year-old woman who doesn't know what she wants for lunch, let alone whether or not she wants to eat lunch? Now Gwen writes about extreme loneliness and shame. I teach at a university. I watch other women, and it's hard for me not to believe that they struggle with weight and food issues. But I feel as if I cannot ask them. Such questions are taboo. Imagine that I was having lunch with several friends about my age, and I asked them how they chose what they were eating for lunch and how they felt about it. Would they even understand my question? Would they answer honestly? Would they make me feel ashamed that I'm asking such questions? What if my worst fears hold true and I am alone with these struggles? Would it really feel better to know that other women suffer similar anxieties and that it's taken for granted that this is part of life? She goes on to talk about what we are unconsciously teaching girls. How can an older woman help a younger girl achieve girl power if the woman is faint with hunger? How can the young girl not pick up on the discrepancy between what the woman says and what she does? Who is teaching our daughters how to be women? Have we improved on our mother's methods? Or are we simply reinforcing the same stereotypes without acknowledging it? Can a woman on a strict weight regime teach her daughter much of anything? If you're interested at this point, check out the show notes because in my post on my own anorexia, I quoted a study done by Dove that girls indeed don't do what their mothers say. They do what their mothers do. And Gwen goes on to talk about the pride of achieving ultimate control when anorexic. How many times do I like to portray myself as someone who's just naturally, effortlessly thin in order to make others jealous? If I get honest, I'd have to give up that pleasure. On occasion, I've tried it and it usually backfires. Recently, a woman in front of me in a coffee shop complained how fat she had let herself get and then complimented me on being in such good shape. I took a breath and told her that I had long struggled with eating disorders and was still struggling. Her reply was that I looked great, not disordered, 
she ended up trying to assure me that I was just great the way I was. I ended up feeling more desperate, and I don't believe she felt any better about her own weight or struggles. So what are the women who are drawn to this kind of compulsive behavior need to do? What do we as all women need to do? We're not likely to stop buying fashion magazines or watching movies with waif-like Hollywood actresses. The culture will have to change radically to balance out all those skinny models with more normally-bodied ones. So perhaps change is more likely to occur with friends, with daughters, within book clubs and Bible studies, in yoga class or between work meetings. Women admitting what body image problems they have what they believe about what society tells them, and supporting one another in their worth, their true worth. We can allow someone to get away from that norm that Ellen McGrath was talking about and not judge anyone by their body weight. We can hold each other up. I want to thank Gwen so much for asking the questions we should all be asking and for revealing her own vulnerability I believe that is Gwen's strength, that is Gwen's courage, and that is Gwen's success. I've also included in the show notes a link to a National Eating Disorder Treatment Center and Crisis Line. Please get help if you have this very serious mental disorder. Today's email from a listener is all about parenting and the guilt we can have when we know we maybe didn't do everything correctly. I don't know anybody who does it correctly, so we're all in that boat. But here's her email. I love to hear your podcasts, and as I hear them, I definitely realize the trauma I might have caused my two children. I realized that I was a tiger mom and expected good results, discipline, and work ethics. I practiced at these values myself, too. Part of it was because I'm a spouse or an ex-spouse of an extremely narcissistic man and was scared of him and his expectations. Now, in retrospect, after a lot of reading, therapy, and your podcast, I realize a lot more. But the damage is done. While I now treat my children differently with passion, support, and from their point of view, I'm concerned if I've damaged their personalities forever or they can undo whatever damage I've caused them. They love me a lot and don't agree with their dad's values. And she goes on to tell me where her children are in school and in their careers, and they certainly chose very challenging environments. So here's my answer. We all make mistakes as parents. I know I certainly did. All you can do is say you're sorry. I think it's important not to say I'm sorry, but, and then rationalize or give yourself a break, just a I'm sorry. And then support them if they do need therapy or something like that in the future. They certainly sound as if they've chosen challenges. That may not be about the tiger mom in you, but how they saw you lived your own life. Again, referencing the Dove study to you again. Interesting. And of course, there's the influence of your ex-husband. They may also have sensed your fear of him and his reactions to things. So they controlled their own behavior carefully. If one of your children was writing me, I'd tell him or her that it's good to go back to your past and acknowledge the influence of parents or culture, but not to blame them. 
Blame will only keep them stuck. And your own guilt has the capacity to do the same for you. So have some compassion for yourself, continue to love them, and perhaps try to unhook from loving them for what they accomplish. It sounds like you've definitely changed in that area. You sound very proud, as you should be. And if they falter, you'll be able to be there for them. There are a lot of ways to reach out to me, and I would love for you to do that. You know, in podcasting, I have no way of knowing much about you. I know where my listeners live, but I don't know anything else about them. I don't know your age. I don't know your circumstances. And I love hearing about that and getting questions about what you would like for me to comment on or talk about. So you can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I also blog weekly, and you can catch me there at drmargaretrutherford.com. If you subscribe on my website, you'll receive a weekly newsletter with both my podcast and my blog post for the week. They are sometimes the same, but often different. I promise I don't send you anything else. No requests, nothing. I think I sent a holiday greeting last year, but that's it. Or, of course, you can subscribe on wherever you listen, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. That I really appreciate because it shows me you're interested in hearing another topic for the next week and keeps me motivated. (laughs) By the way, I am the only one who sees those emails. They are completely confidential. If you don't want me to use it on the air, just tell me and I won't. But I am the only one who can see those. So enjoy the holiday season that's coming up. Certainly, if you have anorexia or any kind of eating disorder, this season is very difficult for you because food is everywhere. So be kind to yourself. Again, seek help if you need it. Please take it seriously. Thanks for listening. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.